Um, hi, so as you've heard, my name is Alexei Kalia and I'm a research intern at Animal Charity Evaluators, um, which we call ACE for short, um, and it was an organisation founded in 2012 by the Centre for Effective Altruism. Um, and so our mission at ACE is to find and advocate highly effective ways to improve the lives of animals. Um, and by that we mean reductions in suffering, or improvements in the well-being for sentient beings at a low cost compared to their alternatives. Um, so a, re a reduction in suffering could say, come, um, could I say, reducing the number of animals on factory farms or using lab research, but also by improving the con con life conditions and stuff like that. Um, so the practical implication of this work is twofold. It means that on the one hand, we educate individuals, and that is especially altruists or advocate or advocates. Um, about the most effective ways to help animals. And secondly, it means that we recommend the highest performing charities to donors. Um, so today, I'm going to cover four things. The first is to explore sort of whether animal advocacy can be an effective cause area. You know, even if we accept that animals are worthy of moral consideration, it doesn't necessarily mean that it's an effective area. Um, secondly, if it is, which part of animal advocacy we should focus on. You know, it could be factory farming, it could be lab research, so there's quite a few different um, considerations. After that, I'll go through what we think um, are the most effective charities, and then I'll finish by talking about what we can do about the problem as a community. Um, so before I get into that, I'm not what you may consider or what some people would probably call an animal person, so I never had pets, I don't want to get pets, um, I'm actually allergic to most pets. Every time I go to a friend's house and there's, you know, a cat or a dog, I get itchy, runny eyes, and it's pretty horrible. Um, so I don't have any sort of special bond or affinity to animals. Um, but just because you don't have any sort of a special affinity for animals, it doesn't stop you from recognizing that animals have moral value and that if you excluded them from any um, cause prioritization research you did, that would be a form of discrimination. Um, so I decided to focus on animal causes after I'd used the sort of standard EA framework um, for evaluating the effectiveness of a cause, which you've heard about in some of the talks from this morning. Um, so that's, yeah, first of all, the scale of the problem. So how many individuals are you helping? How, um, what's the degree of suffering involved there? Um, secondly, it's a neglectedness. So that's the amount of work already being done on the problem. Um, or actually the sort of lack of work on the problem, you know, how few people are working on it compared to other areas. And it, thirdly, it's the tractability, which is kind of like the traction you can gain on an issue. So, you know, how possible is it to create change? Um, so, yeah, using these criteria is what, what allows us um, to answer our first question of whether animal advocacy can be considered an effective cause area. So I'm going to go through those now. Uh, the first consideration is scale. So in terms of numbers... There are 7 billion humans in existence, but the number of non-human animals is many, many times this. So um, the global livestock population is 33 billion. Um, so that in itself is already almost five times the number of humans. In terms of wild animals, if we take into account only the number of land mammals, which is a pretty small proportion of the total amount of wild animals, there's already somewhere between 100 billion and 100 trillion in existence. So 
They're pretty mind-bogglingly big numbers. Um, so as well as that, you know, there's many more birds, there's many more fish, many more insects, all of which probably or plausibly have some degree of sentience, which, as Peter mentioned, is sort of like the um, moral, uh, the characteristic necessary for moral consideration. Um, and so the number of non-human animals in existence is truly staggering. Um, in itself, that isn't necessarily a problem. The problem is that many of these animals, both in the wild and on factory farms, suffer immensely. Um, on farms, particularly, particularly in factory farms, animals suffer from intense confinement, from inhibition of natural behaviours, from untreated health issues and injuries, and it's often really excruciatingly painful. Um, so about two of every three animals in our factory farmed, according to the UN Food and Agriculture Organization. That in some countries it's a lot worse. Um, 99% of animals in the US are factory farmed, and you might have heard this morning that in Australia, if you take into account just the number of chickens used for meat, it's already 500 million sentient individuals which are in factory farms. In the wild, as well, because of tough resources, tough conditions with scarce resources, um, most animals are born into that, those kind of conditions and often starve to death or get eaten alive. Sometimes, you know, animals even eat their own young alive, so that happens in some species of bears for existence. Uh, as Peter mentioned, a few people have talked about this, including uh, David, um, who you heard from earlier, and Brian Tomasic. Probably the most famous person to talk about this is the evolutionary biologist Richard Dawkins. Um, and he wrote that, and I quote, the total amount of suffering per year in the natural world is beyond all decent contemplation. During the minute that it takes me to compose a sentence, thousands of animals are being eaten alive. Others are running for their lives, whimpering with fear. Others are being slowly devoured from within by rasping parasites. And thousands of all kinds are dying from disease, starvation, and thirst. So together, I think these considerations make a pretty strong case for the scale of the problem. So... Let's go. What about our second criteria of neglectedness? So, in terms of charitable funding, which you can see here, the proportion of charitable funding that goes to um, human causes in the US is 97%, compared to only 3%, sorry, um, 3% for animal and environmental causes. So, that means necessarily that less is going to animal causes. And so, that makes a pretty strong case that animal causes are neglected relative to more human centric issues. Um, another factor which really demonstrates the neglectedness of the, the issue is the lack of rigorous research in the field. So you've heard this morning from some people talking on global poverty, and they went through some, some of the pretty good research that exists there. Often it's really detailed, and you know, there's good randomized control trials of what works and what doesn't. Unfortunately, in animal advocacy, this is not at all the case. So that's actually one of the main problems ACE has, um, animal charity evaluators, when we do our evaluations, because we don't know which interventions work best. Um, we're working to close that research gap, but there's still heaps and heaps of work to be done. Um, so yeah, I think that pretty makes a pretty strong case for neglectedness as well. And so if you agree that scale and neglectedness are important, and with the anti-speciesist ethic outlined by Peter before, then it seems like we've got a pretty strong, um, pretty robust argument to do something about this. But first we have to consider the tractability of the issue. You know, there's no point doing anything if you can't do anything. Um, and I think there is there really is reason to be optimistic about our ability to affect change for non-human animals. Um, as Peter said, there has been progress in, in the past 50 years or so. 
uh, on to do with the treatment of non-human animals, including really recently. Um, there was an important law passed in Idaho in the States on the 3rd of August. Um, a federal judge struck down an ag-gag law, which had made it a crime to secretly videotape slaughterhouses, um, which undercover investigators had used to expose the suffering that occurs on factory farms. Um, the judge said that the undercover me methods actually advance core First Amendment values, and that stuff like the right to free speech. Um, by, cons by exposing misconduct to the public eye and facilitating dialogue on issues of considerable public interest. Um, so that's, that sort of um, recognition that it is an issue of considerable public interest is really, really positive. As well as that, most people have now heard of factory farming and are aware of the really um, poor treatment of animals on factory farms. And there is widespread and, and growing support of improved welfare conditions for farmed animals. So all that is you know, some really positive direct evidence as well as that, we've got more sort of historical evidence from previous social movements, um, which shows that it really is possible to significantly change the, change the moral values of humanity on a wide scale. So we need only think of the progress in the civil rights movement or the women's rights movement, or more recently, although not here, judging by the process outside, um, the gay rights movement. Um, but in you know, lots of countries, change is happening, and it, you know, we, we've got good reason to be optimistic that we can affect similar changes for animals. Um, you know, as well as that, social psychologists and marketers, some of which you know, you've heard some of the research this morning, have shown the ability of purposeful messaging to really change people's viewpoints. And so, you know, all that really strongly makes a case that this is a tractable issue. Um, another factor which is important, as you've heard, is the room for more funding. You know, there's no point throwing money at a problem if there's not much you can do about it. And animal advocacy is a really bottlenecked area in terms of funding. You know, ACE would love to hire more researchers to carry uh, research on the interventions I've, I'm going to talk about a bit later. I'm sure they'd love to pay me as well. Um, <laughs> but uh, unfortunately for me, um, they just can't afford to do this. So to sum up the answer to our first question, which just in case you weren't paying attention, is why animal advocacy is a high priority area. It's a big problem, big scale. Not many people are working on it, and we can affect change. So I think that makes a pretty convincing case. Um, so a lot of people hearing about this, these sort of things, they think, well, cool, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get vegetarian, I'm going to you know, do what I can to help. But to be effective, we need to know which cause area we should focus on. And so I'm going to talk about now which area in animal advocacy we should be prioritizing. Um, so yeah, it's, an, it's another form of prioritization. So I'm going to use the same, same criteria as before. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm using sort of the same sort of criteria of scale, neglectedness, and tractability. So if we think about all the different groups of animals, so you could have companion animals, animals used for entertainment, used in research, used in the wild, and used for food. Um, so the biggest group, as you've heard, is in the wild. And if it was just a consideration of scale and of neglectedness, then ACE would recommend um, interventions for wild animals. But the problem is that at this point, the issue isn't really tractable. You know, we simply don't know of any cost-effective ways to help animals. Um, so the next biggest group is farmed animals, and this works on all our criteria. So yeah, there are fewer non-human individuals suffering on farms than in the wild, but the number is still huge. There are over 56 billion animals killed on farms every year, and the issue is still really neglected even among animal advocates. So ACE is based in the state, so that's why most of our data is from there. Um, but this shows the number of animals killed in the state, so 99% are killed for 
um, kills for food, so that's on farms. And in the States, as you heard, 99% of animals are on factory farms. Okay, I might speed up a bit then. Um, and unfortunately, only 1% of donations go to that area. So that makes the case that it's a pretty neglected problem. Um, but most importantly, it seems really tractable, the issue. So, you know, more people are getting used to the words veganism. This shows a graph um, by a German animal group called Vibu, which shows the increasing use of the term vegan. Um, so more people are getting aware of those sort of things and uh, changing their diets. Um, as well as that, ACE has carried out some early work on effective interventions, um, which is suggests that they are really cost-effective. So this, this intervention here, online ads, is used by our top charities, um, which I'll talk about later, and they basically show a pretty powerful ad on Facebook or some other, um, some other website. They give you a link and they um, um, exhort you to sort of change your consumption patterns. Um, so we estimate that about 2.1% of viewers go vegetarian and that the estimated dietary cost is really, really cheap. It's about $1.50 US. Um, the number's not great, but that's sort of our best get at this point in time. So because of those considerations, we think that factory farm animal advocacy is the area of most value. Um, so, in terms of our CHOP charities, because, as I mentioned, the research on these interventions isn't as good as it needs to be, ACE has to rely on other factors to, um, to evaluate the organization, so that's like the room for more funding, um, whether the group is learning from its methods, whether they're testing, whether they've got a strong leadership team, so it's things like that, um, and you know whether they're evaluating their own tactics. So at the moment, we recommend three groups. Most of our animals are Humane League and Animal Equality. To give you a bit of an idea of what one of these groups does, the Humane League conducts online advertising, like I showed before, was really cost-effective, organizes grassroots outreach, does cage-free and Meatless Monday campaigns, things like that. They've also got a cool project called the Humane League Labs where they test their own methods. Um, so yeah, um, we've sort of made an estimation of how effective this is, and... We had to use a log scale because the differences between, um, you know, our recommended organizations and some more ineffective ones like animal shelters were huge, um, many orders of magnitude. Um, so that's, you know, that really does suggest that you can do this cheaply. Um, so yeah, as well as that, we've got these standout organizations which do really good work as well. Um, so I'm going to end by talking about what we can do about the problem. Um, the first thing we can do is to reduce our consumption of animal products. So the impact you'll actually have depends on the elasticity of supply of the given product you'll be giving out. Um, so that's basically a measure which is used in economics to measure the responsiveness of supply to changes in the price of something. And so generally it won't be you know, exactly one chicken saved per chicken you don't eat. Uh, economists have actually crunched the numbers and they think that for every kilo of chicken you don't eat, you'll reduce the production of chicken by about 760 grams. For pork, it's about 740 grams. It tends to be in that kind of range. Um, you know, if you're not yet ready to give up meat and you're feeling a bit guilty, um, <laughs> in the meantime, there's a way out. Um, so you can get involved by donating to our top charities or by donating to ACE. So as I mentioned, um, we've estimated that for $1.50, you can change, you can create diet change equivalent to a year of vegetarianism. Um, so even assuming we got it wrong by a factor of 100, which, which, which is pretty unlikely, by donating, say, $15 a month to an effective animal organization running good online ads, you can pretty confidently have um, as good as impact as a non-donating vegetarian. Um, another way that you can get involved is to get, um, get in touch with the people working on this, get in touch with the community. 
Um, so an area of particular value is the sort of research and interventions I've mentioned. Um, so in my case, I got involved with ACE just by sending them an email. Um, I'd seen a blog post about their social movements project. And so, um, you know, I just finished a case study on children's rights. And basically what we're hoping to do is use the findings we have from the social movements project to inform animal advocacy. And um, the fact that you're not in the same country as ACE, which is based in San Diego, is not necessarily a problem. I've been working from Paris and France and then Auckland and New Zealand. So that is not an issue. Um, so you get involved with ACE or any of our top charities we recommend. If it does prove to be a problem that you're far away, it's also worth seeing what animal charities, um, farm animal groups you can get involved with in Australia. Um, and I think that it seems right now that the animal advocacy movement could experience a rapid takeoff. And with this nascent potential, we can expect significant gains from marginal contributions. And I think that the room for more funding, the room for more talent, the room for initi more initiative on this field is really huge. And it truly is an exciting time to get on, on board with a new and a really important social movement. Thanks.